Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I'm your host, the connoisseur of common sense, the purveyor of authenticity, the man who calls it right down the middle. Dion, sorry, Gordon, enough of the bullshit. Let's get to work. It's been a while. Uh, been a long time. Should not have left you without a dope podcast to listen to. Been on the move, literally. Um, relocated from the expensive-ass California Bay Area to Mobile, Alabama. New job, new opportunity down here. Been down here for a little bit over a week. Uh, started work last week. Still trying to get settled in. Still trying to get acclimated. Get used to the time zone difference. Get used to the people down there. That Southern hospitality is real, though. They got some nice, nice folks down there. Um, they actually have manners, unlike most of the people in the California Bay Area. If they need to get by, guess what they say? They say, excuse me. How about that? That's an earth-shattering concept. If you need to get past someone, politely look at them and say, excuse me. And then proceed to walk on by. What a noble concept. Something that escapes so many people out there in the California Bay Area. But I digress. You know, and I don't want to like completely shit on the Bay Area because I had fun out there for six years. I had a lot of growth and maturity. I met a great woman. I fell in love. And then the whole thing got fucked up. Due in large part to me, I fucked it up. I'll be the first one to admit that. I have no problem saying that. But, um, you know have fun, went to a lot of places, went to a bunch of Niner games. I'll definitely miss that. Being in such close proximity to my favorite football team, being able to go to games and practices and walk through the 49er Museum and walk on the field and everything like that. So I'm definitely going to miss that part. Also going to A's and Giants games. It was cool as fuck to live in a part of the country where you have not one but two Major League Baseball teams right there in the area. You can go to an A's game at that dilapidated, decrepit piece of shit Oakland Coliseum, or you can go to Oracle Park in downtown San Francisco and Embarcadero and go watch a Giants game. You can take a ferry boat in between both ballparks and go watch a game in the same day if you want to. Uh, that typically happens. I did that actually one time when the A's and Giants played a doubleheader. They played one game in Oakland and the second game was in San Francisco. I watched the first game at the Coliseum and then got on a ferry boat and went over to SF, to San Francisco, and watched the second half of that doubleheader. Good time. So I appreciate things like that. I appreciate the food in the Bay Area, the best Mexican food that I ever had. Hands down, flat out, all day, every day, twice on Sunday, 10 times out of 10, the best Mexican food I ever had was in the Bay Area. Uh, definitely a step above Taco Bell. Matter of fact, the whole time I lived out there, I never even went to a Taco Bell. Going to a Taco Bell in the Bay Area, to me, is disrespectful. You got great Mexican food everywhere. You got taco trucks everywhere. Why the fuck would you go to a, a Taco Bell? That's, that's, that's peasant shit. It's low life. There's no need to go to a Taco Bell. You can, you can go get the genuine article from a Mexican taco truck at about, I don't know, 1,500 different places in Oakland or Berkeley or San Francisco or wherever, San Jose, wherever. Just an abundance of quality Mexican food out there. Good Asian food too. Great ramen, great pho. I mean, just all. If you if you're a foodie like myself, if you enjoy going out to eat and sampling different restaurants and different culinary dishes from different types of restaurants, you want Mexican, you want Asian, you want soul food, whatever the case may be, you can find it out there in the Bay Area. So if you're a foodie and you've never been to the Bay Area, I highly recommend going out there and sampling the local fare. That was something else I appreciated. A lot of mom and pop places, especially in Oakland, like you don't see too much of the big national chain restaurants in Oakland, California. It's more so the local mom and pop type of places that are exclusive to Oakland, California, and only Oakland, California. Atani Ramen, top of that list for me as far as 
a good ramen spot and my favorite ramen spot out there, Atani Ramen, downtown Oakland, California. I highly recommend it. You can't go wrong. They will not fuck it up for you. Quality ass food every single time I went there. So there was a lot of good about the Bay Area, but I just I had to get the fuck out of there because it costs way too much to live out there. Two thousand dollars a two thousand dollars for a one bedroom apartment. That's what I was paying to live out there. I feel like such an idiot for even paying that shit. It's so ludicrous, ridiculous, preposterous to pay $2,000 a month for a one-bedroom apartment. You got houses down here, three, four-bedroom houses down here in the south, down here in Mobile, going for the same price or even less than that, like $1,500 a month. You can get a house down there for $500,000. Like, it's so much better cost of living, quality. Well, I ain't been here long enough to say the quality of life is better, but I will say the cost of living, I definitely do see a difference already. Uh, gas down there is like $450, it's about $10. You got places in San Francisco where I shit you not, gas is going for $10 a gallon in San Francisco, California. In Fremont, California, where I spent the last year and a half of my time out there in the Bay, gas going for about $6, $7 a gallon. Gas is out of control, cost of living, housing, grocery shopping. I went to Safeway one time and got a pack of chicken breasts, two individual pieces of chicken breast inside this pack, 17 fucking dollars. I wanted to cry right then and there. How can I achieve my fitness goals if I'm paying 17 bucks for a pack of chicken breasts? There's only two pieces of chicken breast inside this fucking pack and $17, two thinly sliced Chicken breast, as a matter of fact, not even a thick cut, two thin-ass malnutrition slices of chicken breast, $17. My grocery bill, routinely, $200. For one person, I'm buying groceries for one person, for myself, $200, bucks, 250 most of the time. I eat a lot. I recognize that, but goddamn, $200 a week for grocery expenses. A few weeks ago, there was a shortage on baby formula. I don't have kids, so that doesn't affect me, but... I do recognize how fucked up that is. We're running out of baby formula? Everything, the whole country, the whole world right now is in complete shambles and in dire straits. Good luck on that 2024 re-election Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. One more thing I'll say about the California Bay Area, and it's probably my favorite thing about Oakland, California in particular. Oakland, California celebrated and promoted black culture in a way I had never seen before. And that's such a beautiful thing to me because... I'm a black person. I love black people. I love being black. I love seeing black culture being promoted. And in Oakland, California, it was promoted on a regular basis. I never seen that. I never seen anything like that before. Growing up in Frederick, Maryland, it was the exact opposite. There was no celebration, no promotion of black culture. There was a lot of white culture that was thrown up in your face on a daily basis. I mean, the biggest, probably the biggest event that happens in Frederick, Maryland, on a yearly basis is the Great Frederick Fair. Uh, this big outdoor, it's a fair, you know, a theme park, amusement park rides, a roller coaster and Ferris wheels, shit like that. And, you know, food and they have live events and live music and they have tractor pulls and petting zoos and 4-H club and shit like that. They have nothing there that caters to black people. Not one thing at the Great Frederick Fair, the biggest event that happens in Frederick, Maryland. Not one goddamn thing at that event. Black people can go. You're more than welcome to go out there and spend your money and ride the rides and pet the, pet the farm animals and go watch a tractor pull or a country music concert if you so please. And that, and that's what you want to do. But for me, that's not something that appeals to me. I don't care about country music. I don't care about petting dirty farm animals. I don't care about watching a tractor pull or a monster truck rally. I do not give two shits, a flying fuck, or a rat's ass about any of that shit. I never saw any type of promotion of black culture 
in Frederick, Maryland. I won't say never, but like definitely not to the extent that I saw it out in Oakland, where I saw you had black outdoor, you had outdoor markets with black vendors selling different goods and products or whatever, like a bunch, like dozens of them. Oakland, California, of course, is the birthplace of the Black Panthers, and they have a Black Panther Museum out there in Oakland. Uh, I was fortunate enough to go and visit the Black Panther Museum out there, out there in Oakland, California. That was a that was a joy. That was a privilege. That was an honor on a lot of levels, and it was also a joy, privilege, and honor to speak with and interact with different members, former members of the Black Panthers who are still living, and just having the opportunity to sit down and speak with them and have them impart their wisdom and their knowledge to me, and being able to absorb what they were saying to me and. You know, like I said, just take it all in, the wisdom, the knowledge, and everything else. And that's just, that's a cool thing to be able to do for someone who loves and appreciates Black history and the Black Panther Party, to actually talk to people who were in the Black Panther Party back in the day, people who knew Huey Newton and Bobby Seale, Stokely Carmichael personally. That's cool as shit. And that's something that I, I never would have gotten the opportunity to do if I stayed in Frederick, Maryland. Um, so I appreciated that. I, I appreciated my time in the Bay Area overall. Like I said, met a great woman out there, had a lot of fun, traveled, went to different places, met former members of the Black Panther Party, went to a Black Panther Museum, the Juneteenth festivals they had on a yearly basis, and just overall seeing black people being unapologetically black, that was cool. So I appreciate Oakland, California, the Bay Area. Um, I'm going to miss certain things and certain things I'm not going to miss, but it is what it is. And I used to go to a lot of Golden State Warrior games out there, uh, especially when they still played in Oakland, California, Oracle Arena. It was 15 minutes away from my house. One train stop, get on BART, and go from Fruitvale Station to the Coliseum Station, and that was it. You just walk right on in. You got the Oakland Coliseum where the A's play at right next door to Oracle Arena. You can see it on 580. It was a lot of fun going to Warrior games. Once they moved over to Chase Center, uh, the brand-new Chase Center in downtown San Francisco, I never got to a game over at Chase because the first year Chase was in business, uh, the whole building was closed because of the pandemic. They opened up that arena in 2020 when the world was in shambles, when everything was fucked up, and nobody could go and see the games. No one could go to a game at Chase Center. Then in 2021, they opened back up on a limited basis where only a certain amount of people were allowed to come to the game and only if you were vaccinated, and that carried over into 2022. You had to be fully vaccinated and a booster shot to go see a game at Chase Center. Uh, I fought the vaccination for a long time. I got the first one, never went back for the second one. So because of that, I was never able to go see a game at Chase. Also, the ticket prices were through the fucking roof. I tried to. I was thinking about going to a game versus Detroit. The Pistons are one of, if not the worst team in the NBA. Starting prices, nosebleed seats for this game, the Detroit Pistons, the woefully inept, pitiful Detroit Pistons versus the Golden State Warriors, ticket prices were starting, starting, at $300 for a game in late December versus the fucking Pistons. $300 in the upper deck and the nosebleeds. I'm a Laker fan. I, just for shits and giggles, I, I said to my lady, I said, you know what? We should, go to, we should go to a Warriors game. And I'm a Laker fan. I want to go see a Laker game. So let's look up the prices. Just, just for fun. These tickets were starting at $550. $550 to go watch the shitty garbage 33 and 49 Los Angeles Lakers. Now, of course, that has a lot to do with the star power, the people in uniform for the Lakers, LeBron and AD and Westbrook, etc. But still, $550 to go sit in the nosebleed section to watch a basketball game. 
Nope. No, sir. I'm good on that. I got a 4K flat screen TV. I will take full advantage of that. And I will watch the game in the comfort and safety of my own house where I got full access to food and the bathroom and everything else. I ain't got to deal with 20,000 drunk ass people getting in my way. I'm not going to pay $5.50 to go sit in the nosebleeds and not see the game. You got to bring a pair of binoculars to go sit up there and see the court. And you're going to pay $5.50. For $5.50, I want to sit courtside. For $5.50, I want to play in the fucking game. Let me get two minutes at least. That's all I'm asking. I'll be PJ Tucker. I'll spot up in the corner and take corner threes. I'm like, I'll foul somebody. I'll do that. I'll, I'll elbow somebody in the ribs just because. And for two minutes, and that's all I'll do, and I'll go sit my ass down. Uh, so I never made it to a game at Chase Center. But speaking of Chase Center and speaking of the inhabitants of Chase Center, your 2022 Western Conference champion Golden State Warriors are now in the NBA Finals. They've already played four games. I meant to make a Finals preview, but like I said, I was busy with moving and everything else. So I wasn't able to do that. So we have now played four games of the NBA Finals, the Golden State Warriors versus the Eastern Conference champion Boston Celtics. Game five tomorrow night back in the Bay Area, Chase Center, San Francisco, California. My thoughts coming into this series was that Boston had the advantage from an athletic standpoint. I thought Boston was bigger, stronger, and faster. And I thought I picked Boston to win the series in seven games, and that can still happen. Boston has a lot of guys between 6'5 and 6'9 that can rotate on defense, that can guard multiple positions that are versatile on offense. You know, Tatum and Brown and Smart and Horford and Robert. Robert Williams is one of my favorite basketball players in the NBA. 6'9, can defend, can rebound, protect the rim. All the hustle plays, all the dirty work, man. Robert Williams is one of my favorite players in the entire National Basketball Association. I appreciate the way he plays basketball. I appreciate the way the Boston Celtics as a team play basketball. I appreciate even more the way the Golden State Warriors play basketball. Player movement, ball movement, unselfish basketball, beautiful offense. Steph Curry is out there running a full marathon. Every basketball game he plays in, just constant perpetual motion for number 30. And it's a joy to watch. And he is my fa- he's my favorite player in the NBA. And what he did in game four, holy shit. That was, that was majestic. That was magnificent. That was fantastic. That was terrific. That was unbelievable. That was otherworldly. That was superlative. That was awe-inspiring. That was fucking amazing. Wardell Stephen Curry in game four of the 2022 NBA Finals solidified his place on the light-skinned Mount Rushmore. In the pantheon of light-skinned black people who've achieved and accomplished great things and represented the race appropriately, Steph Curry is on that list. Steph Curry, Malcolm X, Prince, and Angela Davis. That is my all-time light-skinned Mount Rushmore. Those four. Those four have represented the culture better than any other light-skinned people ever. Malcolm X, Prince, Angela Davis, and Wardell Stephen Curry. He is the baddest man on the planet. He is the most must-see basketball player in the entire NBA. I sh- you know what? I should have paid that $5.50 to go watch that Pistons-Warriors game. Steph Curry's worth the price of admission. I should have coughed up that $550. Fuck it. To go see this man apply his craft in person one last time. Because I've seen him play about five times at Oracle Arena. And those were great times. Watching Curry play in person, especially a home game, it's a different level, man. It's a different experience. Like that, that Curry flurry is real. That third quarter death run at home in Oracle, especially at Oracle over in Oakland, where the crowd was a little bit more raunchy, a little bit more raucous, more, more energy, more life to that particular warrior crowd in Oakland as opposed to San Francisco. 
when you watch that third quarter death run and that Curry flurry in person, when this dude is just going the fuck off and he makes like five threes in two minutes, it's special. I saw I saw Golden State play Sacramento a few years ago. This is this is a while back. This is when Boogie Cousins was still playing for the Sacramento Kings. The game is close at halftime. As a matter of fact, the Kings have the lead. They were up about 58-48 at halftime. At the end of the third quarter, Golden State was up 95-72. to 95-72. to They outscored the Sacramento Kings in that third quarter 47-14. to I had never seen anything like that before in the basketball court. That was... I've seen the Warriors do that before, but not to that extent and not in person like that. And this this was when Golden State had Curry and Clay and Draymond and Kevin Durant. So this was the evil empire Golden State Warriors. This was a Golden State Warrior team that couldn't lose to anybody. They could play the 96 Bulls, the 01 Lakers. They could play they could play against Jesus Christ and all of his disciples before the Last Supper. It didn't matter. That 2017 Golden State Warrior team could not lose, and they were capable of putting together a 47-14 to 14 run in a quarter, 12 minutes of basketball. Unbelievable. It's amazing. And Steph Curry was always the catalyst for everything great that happened with Golden State, and nothing has changed. And now more than ever, he is the catalyst. He is the spark plug. He is the heart and soul, the drumbeat, everything for the Golden State Warriors, the face of the franchise, a cornerstone piece. He's amazing. I, I could sit here all day and talk about Steph Curry. He's awesome. And what he did in game four with his team down 2-1 on the road in Boston, hostile environment, tough circumstances. This is pretty much a must win. You don't want to fall down 3-1. Back against the wall. He goes out there and puts up 43 points and 10 rebounds. I'm going to say this right now. If you don't like Steph Curry, you don't like basketball. And there's a lot of people out there who, for strange reasons, for ridiculous, nonsensical, dumbass reasons, don't like Steph Curry, most of whom are the LeBron James dick riders of the world, the witnesses of the world, the people who are upset at Steph because Steph ruined LeBron's legacy. If you take Steph Curry and Kevin Durant out of the equation, LeBron James is a seven-time NBA champion. But because of Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, he's only a four-time champion, and he has six finals losses. Three of those losses came at the hands of Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. So typically, whenever I hear Steph Curry slander, it's, it's those kinds of people. It's people who love LeBron, and as an extension, they hate Steph Curry. And the talk coming into this series was, can Steph Curry do something he's never done before, which is win NBA Finals MVP? A lot of people talking about Steph Curry's accomplishments are invalidated because he's never won an NBA Finals MVP? Bullshit. Complete bullshit. The dude coming in, coming into the finals was averaging 26.5 points per game in the NBA Finals. People talk about Curry in the finals like he's always been terrible, like he's never played well, like he's underachieved. If you're averaging 26.5 in the finals, that's pretty good. He's had about 10 30-point games and now two 40-point games in the NBA Finals, but he, he underachieves in the NBA Finals to certain people. He's not good enough in the finals. He doesn't show up. In June, in the most critical time of the year for basketball, he doesn't, he doesn't show up, I guess. 26.5 points per game all-time in the NBA Finals. Let's talk about those NBA Finals MVPs. Kevin Durant got two of those. Fine. The first one, however, went to Andre Iguodala, who received NBA Finals MVP because he guarded LeBron James. LeBron, had a 30, LeBron was averaging a triple-double in that series. LeBron averaged a 30-point triple-double in that series. Iguodala got finals MVP because he guarded him. 
I guess he contained LeBron from averaging a 40-point triple-double in the NBA Finals, and people thought that was good enough to win NBA Finals MVP. Curry should already have one NBA Finals MVP trophy. And to me, it's preposterous for people to try to downplay or minimize what this man has accomplished, what he's given to the game of basketball, the greatness that he has exuded, the player that he's been, the way he carries himself, the man that he is, a good, honest, humble, down-to-earth dude, devoid of controversy, a family man. But to some people out there, he's just not good enough. We have this unfortunate habit of building up superstars for the sole purpose of breaking them back down and bringing them back down to our level to nitpick and to poke and prod and try to find anything wrong with someone. Steph Curry's done nothing wrong his entire career, but people look at him and say, well, he's never won NBA Finals MVP, so he's not that great. He's not a top 10 player. He's not a top 15 player. I'd agree with the top 10 part, but I'll definitely say he's a top 15 player of all time, and he is without question, unequivocally, the greatest shooter the game of basketball has ever seen. Ray Allen even says that. Ray Allen is probably the second best shooter. Reggie Miller, probably the third best shooter of all time, says that out of his own mouth, that Steph Curry is the best shooter the sport has ever seen. And all of that was on full display in game four. The, the entire arsenal, the full repertoire on full display in game four, step back threes, come off a screen, catch and shoot threes, off the dribble, attacking the rim, layups, floaters, runners, mid-range game, whatever, whatever you wanted. It was all on display. It was all on the menu in game four. This dude, he was, he's ridiculous. He had one play on the wing. Robert Williams gets switched onto him. The, the aforementioned Robert Williams, one of my favorite players, like I already said, a great defensive player. He gets switched onto Curry on the wing. Curry dribbles this man in circles. He turns this man into a tornado. This is a great defender. And Steph Curry had this man looking like he was playing Dance Revolution, like he's playing Twister. Curry shakes him, get, gets past him, and he has a pull-up jumper off of one leg and buries it. He's been doing shit like that the entire series. He's the only reason Golden State is even in this series right now. And still, There's still people who question Steph Curry. I don't understand it. I don't get it at all. You're watching greatness unfold live in front of your eyes history in real time what this man is doing only three men have scored 40 or more points all time in the nba finals age 34 or older michael jordan lebron james and wardell stephen curry pretty good list a very exclusive list three of the greatest basketball players of all time jordan lebron curry guys who are so great they only go by one name and you know exactly who the fuck I'm talking about. Jordan, LeBron, Curry. The only three men in NBA history to ever put up 40 or more points age 34 or older in the NBA Finals. For the entire series, Curry is averaging 34.3 points per game, 6.3 rebounds, 3.8 assists, 2 steals, shooting 50% from the field and 49% from three. He's shooting 49% from three in the series against the best defensive team in pro basketball, the Boston Celtics. These are the two best defensive teams in the NBA meeting for the NBA championship. But the Boston Celtics are number one. Go back to that first round series with Boston versus Brooklyn. Kevin Durant was completely discombobulated and ineffective in that series against Boston. He only averaged about 25, 26 a game, had a number of turnovers throughout the entire series. They got swept the Brooklyn Nets are the only teams who get swept in this year's NBA playoffs. That same team, that same defense, has no answer right now for Steph Curry. He is carrying his team because, as I said earlier, 
I felt like it was a mismatch to begin with. I feel like Boston should, Boston should win this series because even as great as Curry is, I mean, it's a Herculean task to try to win a series, to win the NBA Finals pretty much by yourself. I know Andrew Wiggins had a great game in game four. He had 17 rebounds or something like that, 17 points, 16 rebounds. He was awesome. Klay Thompson has finally woken up and come alive after he was abysmal in games one and two at Chase Center. He's got some help. I'm not saying he's doing it totally and completely by himself, but it's not a whole lot of help. And when you look at Boston and the people they got, you know, Tatum hasn't gotten going yet. That's scary, though. You feel like Tatum is due for a big game at some point. If the series were to end today, Jalen Brown would probably be, well, if Boston were to win the series, I should say, let me, let me start over again. If Boston were to win the series, Jalen Brown more than likely would be finals MVP. However, if Golden State wins it, it's in a landslide going to be Steph Curry as a finals MVP, finally getting that elusive NBA finals MVP. But in order for Golden State to win this series, as great as Curry is, he's going to need more consistent scoring from the teammates, from the others. He's going to need help. Wiggins has to keep playing at a high level. Clay also has to continue playing at a better level. And I cut Clay, I, I cut Clay Thompson a lot of slack because Clay is coming back from not one but two devastating career-threatening injuries—a torn ACL that he suffered in the 2019 final versus Toronto—and then when he was rehabbing that injury, he tore his Achilles. So this is a guy, you know, Clay Thompson had gone like over 900 days without playing an NBA basketball game. So I cut him some slack. I give him, I give him a lot of credit. The guy's tough. The guy's a warrior in more ways than one, literally and figuratively. Uh, great, a great basketball player, a great shooter in his own right. I, I'm a Clay Thompson fan as well. But for Golden State to win, they're going to need the Clay Thompson we saw in games three and four as opposed to the Clay Thompson we saw in games one and two. Um, my man Kevon Looney, who I thought was awesome in that Dallas series, he was great has been a little up and down so far in this series. I think the front court of Boston so far has outplayed the front court of Golden State. Robert Williams, Al Horford in particular, they've both been outstanding. So I'm, I'm looking for Looney to pick things up a little bit more as well. Uh, Jordan Poole has been MIA, or he was up until game four, really since the first round series versus Denver. He didn't play that well in the second round series versus Memphis. Didn't do a whole lot versus uh, Dallas in the Western Conference Final. In the first three games of the NBA Finals, Jordan Poole was on a milk carton. Came alive in Game 4, however, and really played well and did his thing. And then there's Draymond Green. Make no mistake about it. Let's cut to the chase, get right to the point. There's no, this is the Deion Gordon podcast. We don't sugarcoat or bullshit nothing over here. Draymond Green, without question, has been the worst player in the 2022 NBA final. He has been the drizzling shits. He's been garbage, pathetic, woefully inept, abysmal, terrible throughout all four games so far of this year's NBA finals. He currently has more fouls than he does points. 17 fouls, 15 points in this year's NBA finals. In four games, he has 15 points. He's never been known as a scorer, but come on. 15 points in four games, he's out there playing... I won't, quite, I won't go as far as to saying Draymond's playing the Planet Fitness games where you go out there and literally do nothing because Draymond's doing a little bit here and there. He did have eight rebounds and nine assists in game four. It came to life a little bit, but still two points. Not quite a Planet Fitness game, more so like an L.A. fitness game. Like There's no, there's no tussie rolls at the front desk, but still, you're, you're not getting it done, and you're supposed to be the third best player on this team. You're supposed to be one of the leaders. 
You are one of the foundational pieces of this team. You're one of the cornerstones. Dre, Draymond, Clay, and Steph, the three guys who've been there throughout this entire run that Golden State has been on, they've reached now six NBA Finals with those three guys as the centerpieces of what Golden State has been able to do for the past decade. It's very impressive. And Draymond Green is a future Hall of Fame basketball player. No question about that. Can't take that away from him. But also, currently right now, in the 2022 NBA Finals, as I already said, he's the worst player in the Finals right now. He's horrible. In Game 3, he had two points and six fouls. He had more fouls than points. Two points and six fouls. What are you doing out there? It's one thing if you only score two points, but you got like 20 rebounds and 15 assists. He's not doing that. It's one thing if you only score two points, but you're defensively locking up the other team's best player. He's also not doing that either. Draymond Green hangs his hat. His calling card is on defense. But with that being said, Draymond's been cooked several times on defense in the NBA Finals so far. So he's not giving you anything offensively. And defensively, he's getting his ass kicked. He's not getting you double-digit rebounds, double-digit assists. What are you out there for? Cardio. It's an L.A. fitness game. Not quite Planet Fitness like Kyle Lowry or Reggie Bullock in the conference finals where they went out there and literally did nothing. Zero points and zero everything else. That's a Planet Fitness game. Like I said, Draymond can at least get you a couple rebounds and a couple assists. That's an L.A. fitness game. We don't want that, though. And that's not good enough to win a championship. For Draymond Green, for someone like him, as outspoken as he is, when the performance doesn't match the words and the antics and the behavior, when the performance, when you are writing checks that your ass can't cash, people are going to talk about it. When you only score two points and have six fouls in game three in a game that your team lost by 16 points and then go on and record a podcast immediately after the game, defiantly record the podcast when you're asked about it in the post-game news conference do you think your podcast is affecting the way you're playing do you think you're divulging too much information and giving away x's and o's on your podcast when people are talking about it as a reason for your struggles in the nba finals it's a problem me personally i'd have no problem with draymond doing the podcast if he was going out there and playing at a high level if draymond's going out there getting you 15 10 and 10 and Golden State's up 3-1, nobody's going to say anything about him doing a podcast. Nobody cares. You can say and do whatever you want as long as you back it up. That's how I look at it. You can be the biggest asshole in the world. You can talk as much shit as you want to talk. I don't care. Just go out there and get something done. Execute. Play at a high level. Back up your words. Draymond's not doing that right now. As a matter of fact, in game four, down the stretch, Draymond was benched. Draymond was benched in game four for offensive and defensive substitutions. That's what Steve Kerr said, but let's just call it what it is, man. The guy isn't playing well. He deserved to get benched. All the criticism, all the scrutiny is warranted. He's not playing well. I'm surprised Kaminga's not got an opportunity to play yet. Six, seven, six, eight, young, athletic. The Warriors need more athleticism to combat the athleticism that the Boston Celtics have because Draymond Green's not giving you that. He's not giving you anything except podcasts. That's all he's giving you. He's Tony Batiste. He's Brandon Bass with a podcast right now. He's not doing anything. He's not even looking to score on the offensive end. Golden State is pretty much playing four on five on offense. He's not even looking for a shot. Won't even attempt a jumper. Everyone knows he's never been known as a jump shooter, all right? When Draymond Green shoots a basketball, it looks like he's going cliff diving. He, he, he looks like he has a backpack on when he attempts a jump shot. 
His mechanics, his fundamentals have always been fucked up. He's never been known as a great scorer or a perimeter jump shooter. But still, you got to at least attempt it. Because when you're going up against the best defensive team in pro basketball, it makes their job easier. They know they, they don't have to defend you. They don't even have to pay attention to you. You're not going to try to do anything. It's like, it's like hot potato. As soon as Draymond gets the ball, he can't wait to get rid of the ball. He can't wait to pass it to Steph or Clay or Poole or whoever, Wiggins, whoever. Not even looking to score. You got to be aggressive, man. It's the NBA Finals. He's more aggressive on his podcast than he is on a basketball court. Draymond got to get his shit together. Another person that got to get his shit together for the Boston, this time for the Boston Celtics is my man Jason Tatum. Hey, man, all those comparisons to Kobe Bryant that, that Jason Tatum himself embraces wearing the 24 purple armband in Game 7 versus Miami, wearing the same practice jersey that Kobe Bryant wore in a workout for the Boston Celtics in 1996. You're doing all these things to pay homage to Kobe, and I'm in favor of that. I love Kobe. Kobe's one of my favorite players of all time as well. Kobe and Jordan are my two favorite players of all time. So anybody who wants to pay homage and pay their respects and tributes to Kobe Bryant, I welcome that with open arms. But if you're going to do that, you got to play at a high level, man. You can't be out here trying to channel your inner Kobe Bryant and then go out there and not be able to beat Bielitsa off the dribble. You're Jason Tatum. People are comparing you to Kobe Bryant. You're the best player on the Boston Celtics. You're in the NBA Finals, Game 4, at home with an opportunity to go up 3-1 in front of your, your, your crowd, that raucous Boston crowd. And Golden State has Bielitsa on the court trying to guard you one-on-one, and you can't win that matchup? Nah. That's not good enough. Jason Tatum has to be better if the Boston Celtics are going to win this championship. Jalen Brown is, is great in his own right, but Tatum, to me, overall is a better player. And if Boston's going to win this thing, it's got to be because Jason Tatum, for at least two games, played at a very high level. Played to the level he's capable of playing to. Played the way he's played the first three rounds versus Brooklyn, versus Milwaukee, versus Miami. He's been outstanding the entire playoffs, but for whatever reason, I don't know if it's an experience, the stage is too big, the lights are too bright, NBA Finals, first time ever in the NBA Finals, I don't know if it's too much for him, if he's putting too much pressure on his own shoulders, if he feels that internally, or if it's too much outward pressure from the fans and the media and everyone else to arrive in the NBA Finals and play at a high level and win your first championship and be Finals MVP and everything. I don't know what the problem is. But Jason Tatum got to pick it up. Game four, eight for 23 from the field, 23 points, 11 rebounds, six assists. Game three, and a win, nine for 23 from the field. He's not shooting well at all in these NBA Finals. He's 6'8". He's highly skilled. He's a monster offensively and defensively. He locked up Kevin Durant in that first round series against Brooklyn. He's capable. He's more than capable of being better than what he's shown so far. And if you're a Boston Celtics fan, you got to be hoping and wishing and praying if you feel so inclined to do so that Jason Tatum can improve and pick his game up or else you run the risk of losing a finals that I think you should win. So far in these finals, the story has been the third quarter death run of the Golden State Warriors being matched and surpassed by the fourth quarter excellence of the Boston Celtics. You saw that in games one and three that Boston was able to win. Game two, the third quarter death run was followed by a fourth quarter of ineptitude from the Boston Celtics, and Golden State was able to win that game. In the fourth game, Steph Curry went crazy, and Golden State was able to tie the series. It's 
the series is so evenly matched right now. It's so balanced. And right now, as it stands, throughout four games, the Golden State Warriors have scored 422 points. The Boston Celtics have scored 421 Golden State is averaging 105.5 points per game. Boston averaging 105.3. The Warriors have 41.8 rebounds in this series. Boston, 42.8. Assists, 22.8 for Golden State, 26.8 for Boston. That's surprising because because of Golden State's system and the way they share the basketball and the player and ball movement, etc., uh, four and a half blocks for Golden State, six and a half blocks for Boston Celtics. A lot of that is my man Robert Williams, who leads the NBA Finals in block shots, by the way. He's been turning everything back. I mean, you come to the paint and Williams is going to throw it back at you. He's blocking everything coming his way so far, playing outstanding defense in this series. Turnovers, 15 for Boston, 14 and a half for Golden State. Turnovers have been a major issue for Boston. And one of the reasons why they've lost two games in this series, they've been careless with the basketball. Then again, that's been consistent with who they've been throughout this entire playoff run. The biggest bugaboo or detriment or weakness of the Boston Celtics throughout this entire playoff run has been the amount of turnovers they've had and how overall reckless they've been with the basketball, which in turn keeps the opposing team in the game. Boston shooting 44.2% from the field, Golden State 44.9, three-point percentage. Boston, 42.4. Golden State, 38.8. Now, you go back to game one. Boston went crazy from three in that in the fourth quarter in game one, and that led to a victory in game one. Al Horford, in particular, went bananas, went stupid in game one from three. So it, it is a little bit surprising because you see the Golden State Warriors, they've always been known as a jump-shooting, perimeter-based three-point team. They have the, two of the greatest shooters of all time on their roster, but they're getting outshot as a team collectively in these NBA Finals. And finally, uh, free-throw percentages, 76.9 for Golden State, 75 for Boston. Tightly contested, evenly matched series, two teams who I think have done it the right way in regards to roster construction and team continuity and culture and cohesion and all that shit I've talked about in previous podcasts. I appreciate and respect the way Golden State goes about their business and the way Boston goes about their business. Some people might hear me say that, knowing that I'm a Laker fan and you know, consider that to be sacrilegious or blasphemous or whatever, I don't fucking care. I give respect and credit and praises when it's due. If you're doing something at a high level, I'm always going to acknowledge it. I respect the way the Boston Celtics conduct business and go about doing what they do. The way they've built this team and stayed the course, draft good young basketball players, groom and develop them and allow them to grow up within your system, that's how it's supposed to be done. Golden State, same thing. Curry, Clay, Draymond, those three been there for over a decade, and they've built around them multiple times. The roster got blown up after 2019. Durant left. Livingston was gone. I mean, they were kind of in a state of flux. They were terrible in 2020. They lost in the play-in tournament in 2021, and now here they are, two games away from winning another NBA final, the fourth for this, for this trio for Golden State in the past decade. Two games away from a championship. Boston, two games away as well. We're tied at two, obviously. Going forward, how do I see the rest of the series panning out? Or what are my predictions going forward? As I said earlier, I think Boston's going to win it in seven. But it, it can go either way, obviously. I think Golden State wins the series if Curry gets help from the others. If Clay can continue to play at a high level. If Jordan Poole can continue to play at a high level. If Draymond Green can function. If Draymond Green can at least have a pulse 
and do something offensively besides scoring just two points, as long as he keeps having more fouls than points, it's going to be very difficult for Golden State to win this series going forward. He's got to do something. He's got to play better. Stop worrying about the podcast. Stop worrying about Cedric Maxwell and who would have who gotten knocked out in 1984. Who cares? Who fucking cares about that? Just play basketball, man. Tunnel vision. Just go out there and hoop and play ball. Looney and the rest of them, you know, if, if Kerr can get his rotations right, I think Kerr's rotations have been a little off this series. Then again, they kind of always are with Steve Kerr. I, I've, I've always questioned his rotations and his usage of certain players. Kaminga, where is he at? The Boston Celtics win this series if Jason Tatum plays the way Jason Tatum usually plays basketball. If Jason Tatum can play like he did versus Brooklyn or Milwaukee or Miami, Boston's going to win this series. Also, even though the Celtics are out shooting Golden State from three, to me, I think they've fallen too much in love with the three-point shot. Golden State has no rim protection whatsoever. They have no one that can stop you from getting a bucket at the rim. They have no shot blockers. Draymond Green is supposed to be their best uh, interior defender. He's never been known as a premier shot blocker. If anything, Golden State in this series in particular, against the bigger and stronger Boston Celtics, they miss having a guy like JaVel McGee. I believe that. I really do. I think Golden State could use someone like JaVel McGee, someone seven feet tall that can rebound and also, more importantly, block shots. So with the absence of a rim protector for the Golden State Warriors, I don't understand, especially in particular in Game 4, why the Boston Celtics have fallen so much in love with the three-point shot. Go to the rim. Attack the basket. There's nobody for Golden State that can stop you. Game 5 tomorrow night, Chase Center, San Francisco, California. We'll see how it goes. Uh, We'll see if Curry can follow up that transcendent performance from Game 4. We'll see if Tatum can find his game. We'll see if Draymond can at least walk and chew gum at the same time. This is a good series. This is good basketball. This is great for the NBA. Two teams that did things the right way, organically built their roster, fighting and battling for the right to be champions of the world in the National Basketball Association. The Larry O'Brien Trophy is in the balance two games away for one team or the other, for Boston and Golden State, both teams two wins away from being champions So with all of that being said, this concludes this edition of the Deion Gordon Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Always humble, very much appreciative, eternally grateful, all of the above. Thank you, thank you, thank you so many times. I appreciate it a thousand percent as always. Until next time, picture me rolling. I'm out.